Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. My name is Howard. It's my privilege to lead the church here. Uh, we are having a message, a New Year's message. It's from Genesis chapter tw- chapter 11, verse 27. I'd encourage you to get that open um, into chapter 12 and verse 9. If you're new to our church, you're so welcome. Please do just drop into the chat, say hi, introduce yourself, our rest of our church family. We would really love to, to get to know you. It's a little bit chilly here this morning, so I feel like I might either jump around, just keep myself uh, extra, extra warm as we do that. But let me read, let's, let's read God's word together, then I'll pray. Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. Now these are the generations of terror. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham, Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscar. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Important introduction to the plot that's to follow there, that the blessing of God is going to come into barrenness and through barrenness. Verse 31, Terah took Abram his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, They settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, or he obeyed, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. 
Let's take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are here, you are present with us wherever we are watching right now, Lord. And we ask you to come into our minds, into our hearts, and to bring to life these words of Scripture to awaken us to this new year, to serve you rightly for your glory. Amen. My hope, my goal today is to help you to learn how do you navigate through, how do you find joy actually going through uncertain times? Because we're living in very uncertain times, aren't we? To state the obvious, the last 12 months have seen an unprecedented global upheaval alongside, of course, an unprecedented use of the word unprecedented. Everything's uncertain now. Our health is uncertain. Your well-being, your mental well-being, that's why you need to do the well-being course, is, is, is uncertain. Jobs are uncertain. So many industries now are said to be uncertain to the point that some fear they may never go back to the way that they were before. The future of church is uncertain. What does church, church look like? So much uncertainty. Do you know it's, it's unsettling? makes us uncomfortable, it's disappointing, it's fear-inducing, it's anxiety-overwhelming, and, and I personally, I don't like it. <laughs> I actually hate it. I want it to stop right now. <laughs> How about you? How are you dealing with it? I want to encourage you, get into the chat. Why don't you just share just some of the, the, the biggest uncertainties that have been troubling you. And we as a church, we can kind of put our arms around you and those on the chat can just commiserate with you in that. But here's the thing, but, but, what if God is working through all this for good? What if he is really trying to teach his people to really trust him? to truly trust him, to learn how all of our ancient spiritual mothers and fathers learned in order to make an impact for him and his glory, to learn how do you walk by faith, trusting in God. And that's what this passage read just now is all about. It's from Hebrews chapter 11 where it's summed up and it's said of Abraham that he obeyed and he went not knowing where he was going. And that is the theme, that is the title of this message, going not knowing. Learning to live with joyful uncertainty. We're going to follow this up um, this week and hopefully in the weeks to come with six short one-minute, 60-second meditations that are going to unpack um, aspects of the sermon. They'll come early in the morning of tomorrow and they're there for you either to read or to watch so that you can really learn uh, and go deeper in the sermon and we together can be united to really grow in God. But let's look at the context. Genesis 11 comes before and the context of this is one of confusion and scattering. Chaos. It's actually how the Bible, to some extent, begins with the tohu wabohu in the Hebrew, the sort of chaotic disorder that's there. And God is coming to begin again into that chaos with what? With a new beginning, with smallness, into our culture of. Love's bigness, 
God decides to enter in smallness. This is God's way. In the beginning of the story, he began with just one man, one woman, Adam and Eve. And they failed. And so he went on to continue with one man, Noah, and his family. And that project failed, but God was faithful, and he continued again. Now with one man, one woman, Abraham and Sarah. And then he would come himself in glory as a baby to one man and one woman, Mary and Joseph. This is, this is God's way. When Jesus came, he didn't go to Palestine to establish a huge kind of mega church of hundreds of thousands of people to come and to hear his sermons and preach. He didn't do that. He poured himself out into just 12 disciples who then go on to multiply and multiply and multiply across the face of the earth. God delights in smallness. And this is what he's been teaching us through COVID-19. The importance of smallness. That we trust God to scale it. We don't worry about the bigness. We just get on and do what he's called each of us to do. There have been seasons in the Christian life where it was a lot about the lions and the big names of the Christian faith and, and the Billy Grahams. But I tell you, that, that season is a back seat now. This season is about the year, not of the lions, but of the locusts and of the ants. So you can stop a lion with a single scandalous bullet. But that does nothing to a swarm of locusts or an army of ants. Hundreds of thousands of Christians through small obedient acts again and again and again. Pressing further with the kingdom of God as they seek to follow God together. I tell you that's unstoppable. It's a year for the locusts. It's a year about smallness revealing God's greatness. And it glorifies God to truly trust him. It shows him that he's worthy. He's, the world, he's worthy of our trust because we're going to live by faith. Even though we don't know what's ahead of us, we trust him. God is good. He's going he's to watch out for us. And it's good for us. We were designed to go not knowing. This is how we were made. <laughs> we're lost if we're trying to control our lives and not trust him. We need to follow the manufacturer's instructions for us. We've just had Christmas, and I'm sure you had a number of presents that had manufacturer's instructions with them, right? Um, we did too. We had a number of Lego kits, and we would have been absolutely lost without the manual. There would have been no hope of, of putting t these bricks together uh, to, to assemble you know, a lovely fire station. We would have been lost. There could have been tears on Christmas Day if we hadn't followed the manual. But we don't need tears. Today I want to give you five instructions from heaven to help you to find joy in living in uncertainty. Here's the first of them. The first is don't settle for less than God's best. Terah, Abraham's father, had set off from Ur and had traveled some hundreds of miles to a place called Haran. But it says that he settled there. Genesis chapter 11 verse 31. He, he settled there. It goes even further to say he died there. 
Something happened that made him get stuck in that place and not press on to where he was meant to be going, into the land of Canaan, for what they had set off for together. He got stuck. Hashtag FOGO, fear of going out, which resulted in him missing out. But I wonder, why did he get stuck? What, what happened to him? Here's my theory. I think it was grief. You see, there's a very interesting coincidence here that the name of Abraham's deceased son is Haran. And the name of this place is Haran. That's, that's quite an extraordinary little clue here that it seems that it was either named after his deceased son or there was a, a crazy connection between these two. But it reminded him of the loss of his son and how awful for a parent to have, to have the pain of outliving their child. Awful sense of grief and loss and heartache. And he seemingly couldn't move on from it and literally got stuck in this place and didn't go on to the promised land. There's so many things to grieve over right now. People in our church are grieving over loved, lost loved ones. And it hurts. Grieving even over the loss of the ability to, to have a, a proper funeral, to, to remember them. But there's all sorts of other forms of grief. Grief of lost opportunities. Grief over lost relationships. Grief over lost dreams. Grief over all the things that COVID-19 has taken away. Grief from physical presence and even being in this building to able to worship together, to, to be in each other's proximity. There's, there's, there's all kinds of, of grief. And it's right to grieve. Jesus wept. It said that he was the man who was familiar with your sorrows. You should grieve. And there's a typical kind of process of grieving, although most people's journeys are, are unique in the way that we grieve. And we shouldn't say, you must grieve this way or that way. But there's often a process and it begins this sense of grief with disorientation and even denial at what's going on and an unwillingness to face reality and a sense of confusion that's there that slowly moves into a very, very painful realization of reality and the sense of the loss and the emptiness and the loneliness and then that moves in time to a place of acceptance and recovery. How are you doing with your grief? The danger is that you don't move on from it. You don't move through it. That the wounds don't become scar tissue. Yes, you'll never in a way move beyond it. But you'll get a level of healing from it. So it doesn't control you. It doesn't define you. It doesn't become your identity. It doesn't get, make you stuck from fulfilling the purposes of God. I often think here of Miss Havisham, this extraordinary character from Charles Dickens's Great Expectations, who is jilted at the altar. And this grief, this loss, so consumes her that her home becomes like a mausoleum full of dust and, and cobwebs. It doesn't move. It stays locked into that moment of, of trauma. And she's defined by it. Her home is a picture of her heart. And she's stuck in grief, embittered by it, and can't move on. 
Today there's an invitation from God to draw you out, to help you to, to grieve, to acknowledge and accept and embrace those losses and to move forward with him. But there are other ways we get stuck as well. It could be comfort. Abraham and his family, they, they'd actually acquired quite a lot of things in Haran. Perhaps it was a very comfortable place to stay and to accumulate. And today we are soaked in a culture that worships this God of comfort, that our lives should be easy and nice and happy. And we should have a large flat with a garden. We should have a career that enables us to earn lots of money and have influence and all this stuff. We should be able to order our favorite delivery every night of the week and, and so on. You know, there's all that. That sort of stuff and only when these things get taken away from us where we start to panic and feel like I don't know if I can live without this thing in my life anymore do you realize that you've been worshiping comfort and the sense comes as perspective dawns on you that millions of people all over the world live without that every single day Another reason why we get stuck that I feel I should mention is individualism. It's perhaps the prevalent atmosphere of the culture that we are raised in. It's about me. It's about whether I get something out of it that makes it worthwhile or valuable. That's why I choose to do things. I'm even only watching right now for myself, not for the glory of God, not for the people in the church who it might help me serve, not for the people that it might help me reach. It's, 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 it's just about me, my comfort, my feelings, my emotions, and my general happiness and, and well-being. That, that's, that's how I'm living my life, and I'm entitled to that, aren't I? And I don't want to be accountable to anybody else. Um, I, I shouldn't have to be because I, I decide. I, I'm the one who decides what's right and wrong and maybe leaders or people over there, but they can say what they think, but really it's my opinion that ultimately trumps everything. And because I don't, I don't want them to speak into my life, I'm never going to speak into their life. And so there's this sort of buffer that comes and there's disconnection. And in the church, it's disastrous because it's a massive blockage to real discipleship happening because it inhibits us from asking deep, probing discipleship questions to others or even welcoming them in, saying, I, I want you to challenge me. I want you to speak to me. But individualism separates and isolates us. One of the things that has been good that has come from COVID-19 is it's actually drawn many people together. We've had to work a lot harder for community. And that's good. But God wants us to take some steps beyond that, to build on that foundation and to get to know one another even better, to really start to disciple each other more into the image of Jesus Christ. And it's key, our collectiveness is key to that. Rubbing shoulders with other people, even though it may be on Zoom, makes a difference in that. I want to encourage you, join a life group. If you're not in a life group, there is no better time to join a life group because it doesn't matter where you live. You can choose any of the life groups. You can just sign up and, and join one of them and be committed to it. But I want to ask you to go further this year than that. To find two or three people of the same sex within your life group and get to know them. And to start to disciple each other. Be, you know, in addition to that, you could use these minute meditations for that if you would like. 
We have before us, I believe, a year of discipleship through which God is going to do extraordinary things to help us to really grow as a people, to become more like him. I believe that God is on the move. And the picture that I have would be of a chessboard. And God is moving his pieces into position at Westminster Chapel. I don't think there's a geographical move there so much. It's an internal heart move and, and, and a preparation and a, and a getting, getting ready for a battle that is coming. Greater than we've seen before. Which will see his blessing pour out to many. Dave McDowell, I think you're a key piece in this puzzle. That your life is sort of revolved around this locality and area. And he's brought you into this role and position at, at Westminster Chapel. But there's more, there's more that he wants to see and do through you. Guy and Heather Miller. I see you in London with like a, a lamp that you're going before and there's people in darkness down alleyways and street corners and you're, you're going out towards them bringing this light, this hope and, and, and they're seeing the light and they're coming towards you and you're literally drawing them in. I believe there's kind of key people that you're going to draw into the church this year on the streets of this city. Mike and Becky Tan. Phil, this is an extraordinary year for you to hear the Father heart of God. And there's a song coming through, <laughs> through a flood tide of emotion of the heart of God for his children and for his church. He's birthing in you. It'll lead us in new songs to the Lord. The second point is God is saying, go. Chapter 12, verse 1, God says, go to Abraham. And this parallels with the call of God to his church. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, where God in Jesus Christ says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The go that God gives to his disciples there and to the church today all over the world is more literally as you go. It's not about geography. It's an, or as you go about your ordinary life, what you're already doing, make disciples. It fits with Acts chapter 1 verse 8. As we go to witness to Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it begins in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the age. But it starts in Jerusalem to the people Jesus was talking to in that moment. It starts right where you're at. 
Don't put your life on hold. Stop thinking it's all going to happen in five, ten years' time or when I've accomplished this or done that or moved there. Or It's right now. You're on mission right now, right here. God has sovereignly placed you right where you are. You are a missionary called by God for him. And God is stirring you to get hold of the urgency of the hour and the importance of carrying this gospel message to others. A few months ago, I was watching the film 1917. It's a World War I film and it's primarily about two soldiers who are given a great charge to carry this message. This is what the general called... Erin Moore, General Erin Moore said to them, deliver this message to Colonel McKenzie. It is a direct order to call off tomorrow morning's attack. If you don't, it will be a massacre. We will lose two battalions, 1,600 men, your brother among them. You think you can get there in time? Spoiler alert. The surviving soldier, William Schofield, He never gave up carrying that message. He was shot at. His head was cracked open. He nearly drowned. His friend died in his arms. He was ridiculed and mocked and even betrayed. And he kept going. He kept going with the gospel message. Rather, he kept going with this message of salvation. And how much more should we keep going with the gospel message that we carry? It's a hundred million times more important than the COVID-19 vaccine. Because it is the vaccine that undoes the curse of evil in this world. It is the answer to sin, sickness, suffering, and death. And people, whether they realize it or not, all around you, the thing they most need to hear more than anything else is the good news about Jesus Christ. There's an urgency for mission this year. That's the second point. God is saying go. The third point is that in order to go, we've got to say no. To go means saying no. To move forward, we've got to leave some things behind. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God says go from. Go, on, go from. You've got to leave behind. And there were three key things that Abraham had to leave behind. His, his country, his kindred, and his father's house. Now these were the three biggest identity markers, the things most important, prized, treasured by the ancient Near East world back then. What things do you need to leave behind? What important worldly identity markers do you need to detangle yourself from in order to really go for God? It's a bit like a bungee cord. I think it was Guy Miller who gave me this illustration some time back. But these, these things, these identity markers, this stuff we, we really want, it kind of can wrap around you like a bungee cord and you sort of get so far of the way and suddenly the bungee cord is sort of pulling you back because you've not really died to this stuff. It could be past hurts. could be an addiction to approval. It could be worrying nonstop about your reputation. It could be... Bad habitual behavior. Looking at pornography. This is a year 
God is going to bring breakthrough to people who are struggling with pornography. Could be habits, habitual kind of things like gossiping or moaning. A couple of weeks back, my wife and I, we just put our kids to bed. Um, and we were in our kitchen. We live in a flat. The door was closed and we were having a conversation. I, I was just really letting off some steam, sharing a little bit about the frustrations and the disappointments of leading church in this time. And as I was talking, there was a kind of noise at the door and the door handle was being turned and our daughter came in looking very concerned and upset. Six-year-old little girl came in and just came straight towards me and gave me a hug. In that moment, I was deeply convicted because I was moaning and she was anxious and concerned about me. And I was sharing forth stuff that didn't really need discussion. I was seeing things as being more negative than they actually were. I was avoiding looking at the positive and the good of what was going on. And it was negatively affecting the people around me. And this is a little bit of what's happened to me through COVID-19. COVID is the great revealer and amplifier. What has it done in you? What has it revealed in you? What has it amplified in you that needs to be jettisoned, let go of so that you can move forward for God? God is calling Westminster Chapel to grow up. Now many of us would think that's an insult. Grow up. (laughs) It's not an insult, it's an invitation. Abraham had to grow up. In order to serve God. If you understand the timeline rightly. He had to leave his dad behind. Because there's a compression of the storytelling. At the end of chapter 11. But the timeline shows us that Terah was still alive when Abraham left. He had to leave behind being under his father's shadow. With Terah being the main kind of decision maker. And all of that. He had to go in order to be a father of many nations where he was the top guy now. He was the one who was responsible for everything. There was a stepping up into responsibility that he had to undertake for God's mission to be unlocked. And I believe there's people in Westminster Chapel and God is urging you not to live under the shadow of others anymore, but to step out and to lead in your own way. It's a, a year of stepping forward and breaking into new ground for us. I am believing in this year we will appoint six to seven new deacons. That we will see two to four people added to our pastoral care core team. That we will see new ministries to the poor pioneered. That we'll see existing ones strengthened. It'll be a year where we see more people taking ground in their workplaces. Bringing the kingdom to every sphere of society. That's why we celebrate with Carol Akiwumi. Amazing that she's been honored and recognized by the queen for her work in fundraising. But she is a woman of God who's bringing the gospel to the work that she does. And that's why I believe God's honoring her. In what she's doing. And there's many, many, many more people who'll do that with here at Westminster Chapel. But for all of us, it's a year of deeper discipleship. How do we do this? We proceed in God's covenant promises. We go in his strength, not our own strength. This is the the fourth point. 
Look at the I will statements of Genesis chapters 12 to 1 to 3. Five times God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then in verse 7, there's a sixth. I will. We go in God's will, not our own will. We go in his strength and power, not our own. And these promises are promises of blessing, of blessing, of God's goodness being poured out to people and then through those people for everybody else. This is how the Bible begins with God blessing. Genesis 1 verse 18, verse 20, sorry, Genesis 1 verse 22, verse 28, then chapter 2 verse 3, we have the blessing of God. God blesses the animals, God blesses humans, God blesses the Sabbath. It's about abundant fruitfulness. It's about happy multiplication. It's about unbelievable shalom and well-being being spread far and wide. It's how the book of Psalms opens. You have these two Psalms, Psalms 1 and 2, which are the gateway to the whole rest of the book of the songs of the scripture. And it begins with blessing verse 1, Psalm 1, and blessing verse 2, uh, sorry, Psalm 2, the final verse. There's a gateway of blessing right into Ephesians chapter 1, which we studied last year. It's about that we have been given every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. We've been loved beyond our wildest dreams. We're adopted. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. These are all ours. And are they just ours to just indulge in and to enjoy and to, oh, isn't it great that we have this? Oh, our life is wonderful. No. Genesis 12 verse 2, we are blessed so that we will be a blessing. To who? It says to people of all nations, to people of all families of the earth, without discrimination, without qualification, none of that. We're to love everybody, even if they're not like us, even if they have a different color of skin or a different economic background. We are called to bless everybody. And the way that we express this, how we seek to be a true and better Abraham, bringing the blessing of God, is to follow the bless acrostic. Begin in prayer. Listen with care. Eat together. Serve with love and share your gospel story. God is absolutely committed to his people. To sustain to sanctify, to keep us safe forever so that he presents us safe in his kingdom of love. How do we know that? How can we be sure of this? Because he has sealed it in the blood of the cross. God in Jesus dies to take our punishment, to take your wrongdoing, the punishment that is deserved for that on himself so that you get to go free. He defeats all of the evil powers so that you can trust him. So that you know he's, he's got you. That you're not alone. That he's with you. The I will statements, these five I wills of Genesis 12, 1 to 3, line up as well with Matthew chapter 28 with this I will statement. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Ah, but there's something different here. It's not an I will. It's in the present tense. It's I am. I am with you. God is saying, I am with you, followers of Christ, Westminster Chapel. I am with you always, whether you feel like it or not. I am with you always. Always. How do you live through uncertainty? 
where it's being certain about the goodness and the love of God. Corrie ten Boom, who survived and suffered so much through the Holocaust, puts it like this. She says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Here's the final point. It comes out of our struggles often to know, how do we please God? How how do we live a life that's an expression of, of love, response to him? Well, it's about obedience. To obey is to love God. We often miss this in the life of King David. I think many Christians would know that King David is the man after God's own heart. But we don't often know why that is the case. But in Acts chapter 13 verse 22, we're given the answer six important words. Who will do all my will? Obedience. It honors God to to obey him. It pleases him. It, It shows how beautiful and glorious he is. That he's worthy of our love and affection. And we're to persist in obedience. Because that's what Abraham did. Abraham obeyed. It says, verse 6, he passed through. Verse 8, he moved to the hill country. Verse 9, he journeyed on. I think this could be a word for many people here. Don't give up. Keep persevering. Keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. That's what Abraham did. He, he makes many wrong turns throughout his life. Things go wrong. He's sinful. He, he falls. He distrusts God. But he keeps getting up and he keeps putting one foot in front of the other. He keeps seeking to be obedient even when it's difficult. And eventually his journey takes him to Genesis chapter 22 to a great crescendo, almost of ultimate faith of an extraordinary sacrifice that points to the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross and is hailed as a phenomenal act of faith throughout the New Testament. Don't give up. Even when it feels like you're not accomplishing anything, just be obedient to God in what you can do. In 1950, Arthur and Wilder Matthews traveled to China as missionaries. It was winter. They went with their one-year-old daughter When they arrived, they discovered that communism had been swelling and was growing to the point that they were being restricted and not even allowed to do mission outside of the compound that they were in. They were even sort of squashed in and restricted to not leave their home for points. They wanted to do medical work. They weren't allowed to do any of that. They thought they couldn't accomplish really much at all for God. So they applied for exit visas to leave China. But they were refused. And they had to stay. This was a strange not going, not knowing, but a staying, not knowing scenario. And they lived through real poverty, money not being able to get through to them, ridicule and false accusations against them, miscarriage. Arthur's teeth were so rotten, there was no dentist to take them out, so they had to be pulled out by hand. It was pretty horrific. And they felt they couldn't accomplish anything, but they did what they could do, which was what they continued to worship God. They continued to sing songs of praise and devotion to God from their home. They never gave up, and the people around them noticed that. In March 1953, they were some of the final missionaries to leave China, expelled out. And they left behind what looked like a completely hopeless situation. But, 
by the sovereignty of God, they left behind the lesson that the Chinese Christians needed the most. Never give up. Keep going. Keep being faithful. Just be obedient to do what, do what you can do. And God, God will blow on that. And what he did is he took all of the little embers and sparks that were left there by these missionaries. And God blew on all of them into a great revival took hold as they were left. The Chinese Christians were left with this amazing example of how to endure through persecution that fueled a revival. And it's said that in 2030, just 10 years from now, there will be 247 million Christians in China. That's 3.7 times the population of our entire country right now. How do you go not knowing? By being obedient to God one small step at a time. You keep reading your Bible. You keep praying. You keep being part of community and the life of the church together. You keep being generous with your time and with your money toward others. You, you keep blessing people. You keep being on mission for God. You don't despise the smallness. Hey, maybe you start to love it because we're trusting God to scale it as an army of ants, as a swarm of locusts. Millions of faith-filled acts of gospel-going will result in massive gospel knowing. Three final points of application for you. First thing, I'd really like for you to find those two to three other people, but particularly one Christian that you know well, and to tell them one area over the next six months that you are willing to go for God in. Maybe it's a particular person he's calling you to witness to and bless. Maybe it's a particular gift to grow in of prophecy or evangelism, healing. Maybe it's a particular flavor of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, so on, that God is stirring you to grow in, to make it a discipleship growth goal for this year and to ask someone to hold you accountable to it. The second thing would be to do exactly the same thing, but something that you're to leave behind, to let go of. It could be a particular addictive form of behavior. It could be a fear of failure. Maybe it's gossip or moaning. But the same again, be accountable to someone. And over the next six months, really seek the Lord to see change. The third and final application point would be to find a promise in the scriptures that speaks to God's people today, the church today, and you within that, that you could lay hold of and pray for yourself, for the community, for, for others as well, every single day. And if you're not sure where to start, start with Matthew 28, verse 20. I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's the note I want to finish on as we come to worship. The queen rightly reminded us of this in her Christmas message. You are not alone. You're not alone. God is with you. If you trusted him, if you're relying only upon him for your salvation, God is 
with you and he'll never forsake you. We go with God, we go in God, we go by God, and we go for God and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask you to commission us this day to go for you again. We're weary, we're tired, we're anxious, we're uncertain. But Lord, of one thing we are certain. You are God, you are good, and you have great plans for your church ahead. Help us to commit to follow you. Help us to step up. Help us to be less afraid of what other people think about us. Even in this moment now, Lord, I'd ask your Holy Spirit to come and help people to respond. I pray help people to grieve who need to grieve well. And then release them into your service. Raise up an army and bless us in the millions of acts of smallness that we will carry out as a church this year. We trust it all into your good hands. In Jesus' name. listening to sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.